0: Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Some of those hymns, you know, they've got these dense lines and, um, like, it, it almost trips you up because you're like, oh, that was so good. And then if you're not careful, you're like, oh, and you're trying to unpack that in your mind, and meanwhile the song has moved on, and then you're like, a verse behind or something like that, right? But just the, uh, that, that poetic depth where they, they take a whole page of ideas and just boil it down into a sentence, you know? It's just, it's fantastic. I love it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day of your creation and of your grace and of your beauty and of your mercy. Lord, our desire is to fall more in love with you, to be obedient, uh, to trust and obey, and even when we, we can't see and when we don't know and when it doesn't make sense, Lord, our, our desire is to be faithful to you. Lord, we want to see you glorified. Lord, we want to see the church healthy. We want to see your kingdom expand here on earth. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. The atheistic worldview uh, looks at creation, uh, looks at the world, and misses it. Just totally, uh, totally and completely misses it Um, at at, at a couple different levels. Um, The first place where they go wrong is that they look at creation and they see the decay, and the decay is definitely a thing, but then. And, and true to an atheistic a view, they actually panic. Um, we know that the decay is caused by sin, and so there's nothing that we can do to, to permanently heal it or to restore it. Uh, Romans eight nineteen, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of god for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now and so the atheistic worldview looks at the decay of creation and it says okay there is no god and the only thing that is real is that which we can see and touch and so there's a sense of panic in that to save the human species uh, we have to save the earth and so in kind of this weird way the earth becomes more important than humanity and more important than people. Some don't stop there. Some take it further. Uh, Romans 1.25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. And so for some, they even elevate it to a place of worship, of worshipping uh, worshiping creation. But the really big myths... Despite the decay, but the really big miss is the innumerable ways that creation points us towards God. Romans 1.18, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. The workmanship of God is, is on display for, for all to see, and some people just by their own pride, they, they miss it. Creation should point us towards God. So, um, my under, I've, some of you heard this before, but my undergrad is in chemistry. For a while I worked on a master's in cell and molecular biology. I hated it, but that's a different story for another time, okay? Um, but biology, chemistry, those kinds of things, over time, that actually informed and inspired my worship almost more than anything else. Um, imagine, imagine looking through a, a pinhole, right? Like there's a door, and there's a, a little account of people, maybe one of those like, things that they put like in hotel doors, and you peek through that, and you just kind of get a glimpse of Disney World, And it's not, like, it's not enough to see everything not even close, but it's just enough to make you aware there's something very significant on the other side of this door. And, you know, after some time and and with reflection and and looking back on it, in, in many ways, that's what the sciences did for me, where it was like, I learned just enough to realize that there are wonders beyond my imagination. And some people begin to explore that and, and, and go down that. But just that, that awareness. And so for me, you know, science on biology and microbiology, like that has deeply inspired um, my worship. Also, as a result of that, and this probably, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, probably a bad thing, but I have very little patience for the scientist who denies God. Because in my mind, like, those of all people should know. Like, you have seen the evidence, you have seen the wonders, it's there before you to still decide not to believe. Like, my my patience is pretty limited um, on that. So today is actually um, the last day in our sermon series. Um, we've been going through the this sermon series for a couple months now. Um, challenge accepted, uh, the sermon. And for this month, we were looking at um, scripture Kind of bounced around a little bit, but um, looking at scripture. Uh, next week, we're going to be starting a new sermon series looking at the book of Galatians. And then that will take us through the summer. And then in the fall kickoff, we'll start a new sermon series. So starting next week, though, we're in Galatians. Um, so our theme for this month, though, has been, been scripture. And so to wrap things up, I chose Psalm 19. I want to look at Psalm 19 with you. Uh, we don't have time to do it verse by verse, but there's a few things I want to highlight. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful psalm. C.S. Lewis said this of Psalm 19. He said, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter. Meaning, C.S. Lewis said, This is the greatest poem out of the entire book of Psalms. Um, And and he continues on, he goes, This is one of the greatest lyrics in the world. Other commentators have said things like, uh, You know, it's a psalm of great concentration, it's a powerful metaphorical language, it's a great poet. Uh, that kind of thing. Psalm 19 is written by David. It has three kind of distinct phases um, that that we'll work through. There's a first part looking at creation, revealing the nature of God, and then there's a second part looking at scripture and how fantastic scripture is, and then there's a third part at the end where it kind of has some prayerful uh, reflections. I'm going to read Psalm 19 to you um, in its entirety, and then we'll go back and look at a couple verses. The very beginning there, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. So the heavens, that's going to be the sky, the moon, the stars. I think perhaps I've shared this story. I, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, so in 1990, which was a really long time ago, um, NASA sends this giant telescope into space called the Hubble Telescope, because uh, they thought it would be easier to view the stars and such from space rather than on Earth, there's not as much stuff um, in the way. It continues to orbit around the Earth to this day. Um, it's solar powered and so it just keeps on going and it takes photos of space and then sends them back to us and uh, they've done updates on it like, like five or six times. So um, in 1994, scientists took a section of the sky that seemed empty. So on that first slide, Um, I don't know if you can see it, there's this tiny little yellow, almost like L-shaped space. And they said, that looks empty, there's nothing super bright around it, let's let's just take a peek to see what we can see, you know, and and see what we can, and and, and the the goal was like, kind of like a deep space, like, is there anything way out there? So for 10 consecutive days across multiple wavelengths, Hubble observed the same patch of nothing, collecting um, just one photo, one, one picture at a time, and then the next picture, this is what they found. The original Hubble deep field image shown here was taken by stacking dozens of images of an empty region of space and seeing what showed up. The answer was thousands of galaxies revealing our distant, because that was the thing they're, they're looking like, what's, what's way out there, our distant universe look like for the very first time. Um, I think it was uh, Forbes had had this article, Um, it was written three years ago, and they said that this image is actually 25 years old. On, On next slide, a small section of the original Hubble Deep Field featuring hundreds of easily distinguishable galaxies. The original Hubble Deep Field may only have covered a tiny region of the sky, but taught us that there were at least hundreds of billions of galaxies, contained within the observable universe. Today, data and, analis- and analysis has placed that figure close to two trillion. Two trillion galaxies. Last image. This image showcases the massive distant um, galaxy cluster, ABEL S1063, as part of the Hubble Frontier Fields program. This is one of six galaxy clusters um, to be imaged for a long time in many wavelengths at high resolution. The diffuse bluish-white light is actually intracluster starlight captured for the first time. It traces out the location and density of dark matter more precisely than uh, any other visual observation to date. My opinion. I think scientists who see this and then still refuse to believe God are probably in store for some of the the strictest judgment because they saw this and they had a glimpse of God's glory and they still said no. I would also point out that according to Genesis, all of this was a spoken word. Like that's it. Like, Like we don't get, oh, it took so long and God was so tired. No, God spoke. And then this. The VBS theme for this year is actually space. Um, which is, you know, in the past, it, you know, it's been animals and that kind of thing. And, but you look at this and you go, wow, like that makes sense. Like the, they will have so much material to, to work with uh, and, and unpack on the glory of God. The verse begins with the heavens declare the glory of God. So that's, that's big. Then it says the sky above proclaims its handiwork. So we're kind of zoom in just a, a little bit. So the sky is gonna be that which you and I can see, the atmosphere, the firmament, the expanse, that kind of thing. Um, I don't have a picture of it. I don't think a camera really could have captured it, but it, it was still, uh, it was one of my summers working at Philmont, the sun was setting. I don't know if it was the clouds, the, 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 the mountains, what caused this. I've never seen anything like it before or since. But, you know, as the sun sets, then there's kind of like a red glow. But what happened, though, is that it split into three beams, and it was kind of, you know, together on one horizon, and then it split. There was one that went right over top, and then two that kind of went off to the side, and then they met up again on on the other horizon. And, you know, as they they would come out, they would kind of widen out, and they were thickest right above us, and then they tapered again together on, on the far side of the horizon. I have no idea how that happens. It was remarkable. And even, I remember that night, even the moon rise was particularly just spectacular. You don't need telescopes and, and, and satellites to see the heavens declaring the glory of God. You just, you just need a neck that bends, right? Like you just, like that's all. And if that doesn't work, just like lay down, right? Like it's not that hard. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. Every day, day after day, every night, night after night, there are signs and wonders that point us to God. Great section in Job, Job 12, verse 7. But ask the beasts, and they will teach you, and the birds of the heavens, and they will tell you, or the bushes of the earth, and they will teach you, or the fish of the sea will declare to you, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this it is oh in his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind for the sake of time i want to skip ahead a, a few verses to to verse 7 the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Law, so in in uh, law in the Hebrew here is going to be Torah. Sometimes you will hear the Jewish people refer to the Old Testament as the Torah. They'll talk about uh, the Torah, but really Torah is is a broader term than that. And really, Torah refers to all of God's revelations, right? And so this this very opening line is just all of God's revelations, right? Um, and I mean, God communicates through us through through wit- written word through the Scripture. Uh, But as we saw in the first six verses, God communicates through the heavens and through the skies and through creations and all that other kind of thing. So in some ways to to talk about, you know, if we say whenever God speaks, there's almost a limiting factor in that because our mind kind of assumes only words. When, in fact, God communicates in all of these other different ways as well, too. So, really, it's God communicating would be a more accurate term than when just God speaks because of the amazing ways that, that he reveals himself. So, the, the law, God's revelation, all these ways that God reveals himself, revive the soul, refresh and revive. And, and you know, that may not sound too significant, until you're tired and until you're worn out and until you're exhausted and until you've just been sitting in your own anxiety too long and then revive sounds pretty good the testimony of the lord is sure making wise the simple in Exodus 25, God refers to the Ten Commandments as the testimony of the Lord. So we kind of get this sense as we're going through that, that there's almost kind of a, a narrowing down, right? And so, um, so if we understand this, you know, the, the Ten Commandments, uh, kind of a more focused communication from God. But we learn those and we memorize those. And even the simple-minded can live a, a wise lifestyle, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I don't remember a lot of the details of the story. I think we were talking about, um, there's a book where uh, this pastor, and they do kind of a, a kindness, uh, kind of random acts of kindness kind of style evangelism in the whole book, and, and he had built his, his whole church kind of around this. And I, th- I think that was the guy, but uh, so Steve was telling me the kind of the background story. So apparently when this guy was younger, he just fried his brain on drugs. Like it was, like he was in rough shape. Um, and he got saved, but he still kind of was struggling with some of the, the effects of that. And then one day a pastor tells him, memorize scripture and God will restore your mind. And so that became his thing. He would memorize scripture, and over time, God restored, God restored his mind. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Um, some translations may read statutes Uh, so these are God's detailed instructions concerning like practical matters of how to live so in the Old Testament we saw a lot of these with Israel right like how to eat and how to camp and what you should do and all these other kinds of things in the New Testament we have some of those as well too right Uh, more specific instructions around church or family or uh, relating to one another and that, that kind of thing right even as parents we have we have detailed rules for our kids You know, and and some of those rules are not just for safety, but really even just for happiness, right? Because we know that certain actions and certain sins may seem fun in the moment, but in the long run, they're going to ruin you and you're going to be miserable and you're going to hate it and, and that kind of thing, right? God's precepts, his detailed instructions are the same. They cause the heart to rejoice. When you live within that framework, it will cause the heart to rejoice. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So commandment in Hebrew uh, here means that which is appointed. So God loves us and he commands us what to do and, and not to do. And these commandments are pure. But more than that, his commandments enlighten the eyes. Follow the commandments and this will affect your vision; it will affect how you see the world. Uh, you begin to see the world correctly, um, and it will change your worldview. And worldview is very, very important. It, it's interesting to watch humanity, um, and you can have two people who will view the exact same facts or data or event, and you know, just kind of that 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 raw information material. And two people will come up to totally different conclusions because of their worldview, because of that frame, because of that lens with which they see and interpret everything. And so even though the facts are exactly the same, two people end up with totally different understanding of, of what is truth. And I think part of why just some people in our world have such a hard time figuring out truth is because they come to these different conclusions based on these different worldviews. Following the commandments of Jesus will give you that proper worldview. The fear of the Lord is clean. It's fascinating that he used the word clean. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Fear of the Lord is not terror, fear of the Lord is respect, it, it, it's honor, it, it's approach with, with dignity. And an understanding of Scripture and and fear of the Lord go hand in hand. They're intertwined. And it endures forever. There are two eternal things in this room right now. The people and the word of the Lord. Both of which will endure forever. You've never met a mortal person. Every person you have ever met will live forever. Uh, the rules of the Lord are true, righteous altogether. Uh, Some may uh, translate that as judgments of the Lord. Um, So this is ordinances, verdicts, uh, decisions of a judge. The Lord does judge, the Lord will judge. He will bring about justice, and all of that will be righteous and true. In the third section of, of the psalm, David gives Um, almost like a prayer or like a personal reflection meditation he's he's speaking to his soul he's speaking about his soul right so he's he's reflected on nature he's reflected on on scripture and god's commandments and now he reflects a bit on how those impact him Uh, verse 11 um, by them your servant is warned in keeping them there's great reward who can discern his errors Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. No person can truly understand their own heart. And this may be one of the greatest confusions uh, that I see in our world today is this idea that, that we can understand, truly understand our, our own heart. Jeremiah seventeen nine warns us the heart is deceitful to us as well as to others. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? Verse 12, who can discern his errors? The idea being no one, right? Like no one can discern their, their own errors, their, their own faults. And again, this is a place where, where the world has it backwards. It, it, it's interesting. One, one, I heard one guy talking about this. Even the world recognizes our need for salvation. But according to the world, the greatest sin is that my, my circumstances have forced upon me something I don't want. And so freedom and salvation come in the form of me getting back to my true inner self, right? So that fascinating idea I heard several years ago. Since then, right, we're seeing the LGB movement and, and the transgender movement being given incredible freedom and endorsement, and I think it's a continuation of that because the world thinks that, that those movements are on really on a path of salvation where they discover and return to their true inner self. Right? So there is a recognition that we need to be saved. But, but where does salvation rest? And is salvation a return to my true inner untainted self? No, salvation is in Jesus. Right, um, And God says all that is just a, a great deception. Sin is my problem. Things I choose to do, things I do without knowing, uh, see, sins that, that I know are sins. But salvation is not in self. Salvation is in Christ, and it is he who frees me. Nature, creation, the heavens, all of it is, it's like they are shooting off fireworks, trying to get your attention, and telling you, hey, there is a God. And none of this was a mistake, and none of this was by chance, And all of this was by design. But then it's almost as if scripture then comes and it fills in the details. That God, his name is Jesus. And there's a problem and there's a decay and that's because of sin. And and this decay problem is fixed by Jesus. And this God, he loves you. And salvation is found in him and not in yourself. And his name is Jesus. The heavens declare... The glory of the Lord, but it is the law of the Lord, is perfect, reviving soul, so that let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the skilled poetry of the Psalms and the way that uh, they invite us into a place of imagination and understanding centered on your truth and on your glory. And God, we are so thankful that the heavens declare that you are alive and that you are real. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would see the heavens, that we would see nature, that we would see the the sky with eyes of, of wonder and marvel in its beauty, in its design, in its structure, in its consistency. But, Lord, that we would look to Scripture to fill in the details on who you are, what you value, and where sin truly is, and, and how salvation is truly obtained. We worship you and we love you. In your name, amen.